You are listening to another Always Moto production. The Always Moto Podcast with your host, David Hogan. This show contains information about injuries to riders competing in AMA Supercross, AMA Motocross, MXGP, Ozpro MX, and other international moto events. The information discussed may be unsettling to some listeners. It might be incomplete or based on medical opinions due to riders tending to hide the details of their injuries. We are here to explain the information and increase injury understanding and visibility for the fans. There might be coarse language and the odd stuff up along the way. If any of this offends you, turn us off right now. I'm Brighton Carroll, riding for Team TCD, and you're listening to the Always Moto Podcast. Hi, this is Dylan Woodcock, riding for All South CMH Stunt Flying Privateer Team, whatever you want to call it. (laughs) Cheers, mate. That's right, Moto fans, I'm not a doctor, but I am a physiotherapist. I'm David Hogan, your host, and this is the Always Moto Podcast, episode 15. We're coming uh, out of Daytona. We're heading for round 10 of Monster Energy AMO Supercross, and this week it'll be from Detroit. It's been a busy season with injuries uh, and all that sort of stuff that we talk about here in the emergency department, but uh, last round of Daytona wasn't as busy from that injury front, at least until midweek when we got the Ken Roxon news, and that's something we'll cover today in the show. Uh, so like I said, the injuries from Daytona weren't that bad. There wasn't that many of them. Most of them were actually not on race day. Uh, there was a couple of little bits and pieces that we'll talk about in our injury list later in the show. So I wanted to start off this show, uh, just run through the little bit. I'm going to actually read some of the uh, press release from Honda in relation to Ken Roxon. And then I've got some thoughts that I want to cover off. Uh, about that that you guys might be interested in Uh, so we're going to do that first off we're then going to kick through our normal injury list we're going to talk about some updates that have happened Uh, we're then going to run through our little fantasy talk for the always moto fantasy league that we do over on pulp mx uh, where we've got the chase for the socks uh, the sunnies, the socks from uh, Goat Brand MX, the sunnies, and a hat from False Neutral Industries. So thanks to those sponsors for the for the fantasy uh, game that we we do there with the Always Matter Fantasy League. Uh, and then we've got a pretty cool interview today. Uh, we've been able to catch up with Van Martin uh, after his uh, pretty serious injury that he had at Minneapolis. And and look, we we have a nice long chat here with with Van. 
He runs through some of the things that he's been going through um, with since the injury, um, how he managed to get through it all, what's been happening, what his plans are, as well as he does a bit of talk at the end um, about his training of some riders at the TT MX, which is the Texas Tornado, which is Colin Edwards's uh, facility where his son rides and Van trains his son and a few other people out there. So we we cover a fair few things, not just about the injury this time, uh, which is nice chat with Van. And look, after we finished record, it was nice to hear um, when I was talking to Van just after we'd finished just about that he's been following our uh, content for a while now and he, he's really impressed with the stuff that we're putting out on that injury front and we hope to get some more uh, exposure for that and, and he hopes that you know we can do that. So that was awesome to hear it from, from the writers that they are the supportive of the information that we're trying to put out there. So that was really cool. So that interview will be towards the end of the show. Uh, but let's jump in. Like I said, let's start off with that Ken Roxon update. Let's go through this uh, little bit of the press release here and uh, we'll, we'll work on from there. So Honda came out uh, earlier in the week uh, and I've put out this press release about Kenny's situation. So uh, Roxon, I'll read it a little bit here. So uh, Roxon has dealt with the effects of Epstein-Barr virus since recovering from serious injuries in 2017 and 18. Although he has made progress at different times, including sitting out the entire 2020 AMA Pro Motocross series. He was stricken by an unrelated illness at the end of the calendar year in 2021, but was nonetheless able to surprise, to take a surprise win at the first event. Unfortunately, he hasn't felt like himself since, a situation that was compounded by a bout of COVID-19 just after the January 22 San Diego round. Roxon hasn't been able to put the issues behind him, and rather than risk a downward spiral in health and morale, he has... He and his team have made the difficult decision for him to withdraw. During his hiatus, Roxon will seek professional treatment from specialists he has worked with in the past, including some in Europe. His exact return date will depend on how the progress goes. Now, this basically puts down that there is an uh, indefinite, and sorry, this is the end. That was the end of that snippet of the of the um, press release. Everything from here on is just just me. <laughs> So look, let's talk about this scenario. So there's an an un uh, what's the word here? Not un. We're going for a, there's a there's an indescribed time frame here for this recovery for him. There's no return date set. There's no expectation on that return. So as much as they say that he's been you know withdrawn from the series uh, for the time being, it's an indefinite withdrawal. Um, we don't know when he's going to be back. And, and that's the, the kind of scary part in this, this update here. And look, will that be Supercross? For me personally, I doubt that. Uh, I expect it to be more like some time in outdoors, if outdoors at all. Yes, I did say outdoors at all. I, don't, I kind of got the feeling that if this is actually going to do the right, the right thing for Ken and actually have an effect on his health and actually get him back to that point where he can manage his health throughout an entire Supercross season, an entire motocross season, this is going to take some time. Now, why do I say that? If you look into this at all, so he has had Epstein-Barr basically since 2017-18, depending on when you, we're not exactly sure when that would have kicked in. But there's things you need to know about Epstein-Barr. And look, when I put these posts out on, on my Instagram feed, which is always.moto uh, on Instagram there, I, I have the hashtag, the motovirus. And I use that hashtag because you barely hear about this uh, illness in any other sport. It is there. Don't get me wrong. It's there. 
But compared to motocross, and I say motocross particularly because it happens more in the motocross series than supercross, uh, it, it happens a lot for our, our professional riders. Now, why is that? Well, we put ourselves through a lot of strain uh, and particularly in the outdoor season, we're, we're doing this on a hot day uh, for extended periods of time in a lot of gear on a hot motorcycle. So there's a lot of strain that goes along with that, not to mention then the fact that these guys jump straight back on the training, you know, Monday morning, good to go straight away after a Saturday race. Um, so there's not a lot of recovery time built into this season for them, unfortunately. Interesting enough, interestingly enough, I, I actually commented on this in one of the previous shows that isn't it funny how during Supercross you don't hear much about Epstein-Barr virus and then bada bing, bada boom, here comes this uh, press release on Ken Rockson that his Epstein-Barr virus has flared up and he's, uh, he's out for a few weeks. So, you know, yeah, what do you know? But look, the Epstein-Barr virus is something that a lot of people will have. Um, and not necessarily realize they even have it. So they might have had something along the lines of mono or, or that sort of uh, variant of the, of the illness when they were younger. Um, and it's, it's just like any other virus, you know, you get it from contact or, or you know, kissing. Sometimes it's called the kissing disease because um, it spreads via, via touch. Um, and you'll get it without too much, too much, you know, fanfare as such. You just basically have it. It's a couple of weeks period where you feel off, you feel tired, um, and then usually it resolves. The issue with this one, but is that it never really leaves your body. It, the virus essentially lays dormant in your system. Uh, and at any point in time, usually at a point of high stress, high load, high physical capabilities repeated regularly, the virus can rear its ugly head. Now, for Kenny, in these last four to five years since that first arm injury, I doubt that he's ever actually gotten rid of it. It's probably just been sitting there looking at him in the mirror the whole time, and he's never been able to manage it in terms of a proper reduced load, reduced stress, um, and and just reduced you know reduction of of all the effort and issues that go into it coming back around. If you think about it, he's had the 2017 major injury. He had multiple multiple surgeries, and I don't remember the exact number, but it's sort of like seven, eight, nine, something around there that he's had surgeries done on that left elbow slash wrist. You then move into 27, uh, 2018 and he injures his right arm when he sticks it in the back wheel of uh, Cooper Webb's Yamaha back then. That's then another surgery. We then go to, uh, what is it, 2019, I believe it was, and the San Diego Limegate issue where he has to then have a bout of antibiotics that then basically wipes him out further and it all kicks in again. And every time he's then done uh, outdoors in this period, he's always been just off. So 2018, when he came back after the right wrist and hand injury, he obviously, if everyone remembers, he would be up front, but then he would sort of just fade back to sort of second, third, fourth, fifth in those second motos. That would be that period again where that Epstein-Barr virus is just kicking his butt. 2019, he tries again, similar sort of efforts. 2020, we lead to that point where he actually pulls out of the motocross series. And that was partly, was in part the decision made by him due to all the COVID bit going around and just the risk for him and his health. If he got COVID at that point and tried to race the outdoors, he was going to end up in a world of hurt from a health point of view. So he took that out. 
And then look what happened. 2021 Supercross, he basically has, since that 2017 injury, he basically has the best season that he's had. Why was that? You got to think that that was because of that extended break. He actually got a chance to recover and rest his body. And that was probably the best period of time that he got that virus under control. But look at what happens then into the outdoors. He's doing super well at the beginning of the series, and then he tapers off again. His results fade. Second motos aren't so good. Dylan Fernandes runs over the top of him and takes away the title at the end of the year. Move along, he still hasn't taken much time off because that season ended a little bit later than you would expect in normal times. And then we obviously start straight into into uh, Supercross testing in that October-November period. So there's a very short space of time that he had to recover again. Look what's happened. He gets sick in December, January there, um, catches a cold, whatever it was, um, and basically wipes him out again. And then we add on top of that that he gets COVID as per this uh, press release in late January there uh, and just wipes him completely out. And in this whole time, he's still trying to train, test, and he's now got the stress of the fact that his results are doing pretty badly at this time period. So the Epstein-Barr virus doesn't only come back around because of physical load, it can also come around from psychological load. So there's a couple of aspects in all of this that will just basically keep reinforcing that Epstein-Barr virus to kick his butt further and further. Now, if that's all that you want to hear about and believe, that's fantastic, right? In terms of why Roxon's in this situation. Now, if you listen to some of the other media outlets, you'll hear them talk about maybe some unrest and whatnot between him and the team. And look, if you believe the the update in this press release, there's no problems there. But we'll see how that all plays out over the next coming months and whether he can get back out on track soon and get some decent results or not and what happens with his with his contract situation that is, I believe is due this year. But I'm not here to talk about that. I'm here to keep talking about this injury or not injury. It's a health-related aspect that's caused him to be out of action for the rest of this, what I believe will be the rest of at least this Supercross series. So... Those couple of scenarios there. So we, we went through all those issues that he's had. Now, anytime he had a cold or flu in that period too, if he took any antibiotics, it wipes him out straight away. Um, antibiotics are great at killing the virus, but they also kill any of the good bacteria in your body, uh, which help fight other diseases and illnesses and just wipe you out completely. So uh, it's they're good and bad. Hence, he's then, after that Limegate issue, I think he's taken a stand against some of those medications when he has had colds and flus that he has just not taken anything, maybe just, you know, um, just, you know, normal paracetamol, which I don't know what the term it is for anyone listening overseas, um, but it's just a normal low-level over-the-counter painkiller for you take for a headache. He probably, that's already all he's doing. So if we look at this now, if this has been around for four to five years, there's a school of thought with Epstein-Barr that, the time frame that you have issues with it, as in the symptoms of present, of feeling fatigued, unable to get get up and go, no push, no no ability to maintain any sort of physical performance. If it's been around for a certain period of time, there's a school of thought that believes that then that same period of time is what's take what's required for you to resolve those initial those main symptoms. And like I said, you'll never get rid of the virus completely. It will lay dormant in your system. But if you have these aggravated symptoms periods, it's, that's how long it will take you to get rid of them. Now, if that's the case, how in, how in the hell is he going to take four to five years off? Because that would be a career ender for him right there and then. There's no way in the world that he has that ability to take that much time off. 
But what can he take off and what can he then, how long can he then use this period to full effect or as maximize the effect that he can get from the recovery and get this under control? At the moment, we're heading into, like I said earlier in the show, we're heading to round 10 in Detroit for AMA Monster Energy Supercross. That means there's about seven to eight weeks left of the Supercross season. There would then be about three weeks until the start of outdoors. So we're talking about 10 to 12 weeks here, 12 being absolute max that he could be taking rest period before the outdoors start. Now, if you take off a few weeks from your training, say he takes off six weeks, completely six weeks off, goes, gets treatment overseas, doesn't ride a bike, doesn't train, or at least trains in a very, very minor controlled sense, his ability to turn up to uh, round one of the outdoors and be competitive is extremely reduced. And just on a physical training, you know, been on the bike time period, because if he takes six weeks off, he's at most got sort of five weeks, maybe four to five, maybe six, that he's got to test and train and build back up. And I don't think that's enough. If he, if he actually takes all of that time period of 12 weeks, takes it as a, as a, as a really dedicated period to get this under control, he then has at least 12 weeks to try and build himself back up whilst the outdoor season goes on and potentially show up to maybe the last handful of rounds maybe do MX of Nations at Redbud, or maybe he skips that altogether. But maybe he then uses these, what he starts to build back up, and maybe he goes and does that uh, new World Supercross series that the, uh, the Australian guys, the, uh, our local friends here, uh, are starting to build up and put on that we've been hearing about in the last few weeks that they've been putting together the series. And that being sort of a five-round series that they're talking about doing in September to November, um, would be a really nice thing for him to build back up uh, into and then have another little break before the actual AMA season kicks in. So, look, there's a lot of options here for, for Kenny, but I feel that this time period that he's going to need to take off, at minimum, will be Supercross season. I believe there's probably, if, if there is actually as much issue with his health as they as you, you, know, you would be led to believe, um, I believe it would be beneficial for him to take even some of the outdoors time off as well to extend that out and really get this under control so that we're not having this same problem again at the end of next year, say. Uh, because otherwise we're just going to be get, he's just going to keep digging a hole and potentially this could be then the thing that ends his career if he can't get it under control um, you know he, he might just not be able to compete at the level that he wants to anymore if you look look outside of um, you know motocross supercross and and for, look for examples of guys with Epstein Barr Think about Casey Stoner from MotoGP. He ended his career rather early for a, for a young guy. There was probably a multiple multitude of uh, reasons for that, and some of that revolves around um, the death to uh, Simicelli there, and he just didn't want to be be a guy that ended up in that similar situation for his young family. But if you look at him since then, he's rarely done anything of any nature. He does do some testing from time to time. But he always talks about the fact that he is tired and he is still managing the effects of Epstein Barr. Now, if I recall correctly, he retired somewhere around 2013 or something along those lines. So that's a long time. That's like, what, eight, nine years that he's been uh, retired for, and he's still talking about Epstein Barr being an issue in his life. So. 
for Ken, this is something serious. It's something that really could affect him long term uh, and affect what he has plans for post-racing career life. Um, and, and so, look, it's something that he has to really consider when he is, you know, uh, working out how long he should be taking off. So, I think the main point in all of this is that he needs the time away. He should be looking at this as a serious step to take to resolve these issues. And he shouldn't really cap himself on how long he should be, you know, should be targeting as a time off. He should be doing it by how he feels and when he actually gets those levels that they do in blood tests and stuff, when they come down to maybe some sort of respectable number for him. Um, but so basically my, my thoughts here in terms of when we see him back, definitely not super cross maybe sometime in outdoors but i would not be surprised if we don't see him until again on a race you know on the start gate until 2023 ama supercross which look for some of you fans out there that might be disappointing to hear but it's a possibility he might use all this time to his advantage he may even have issues with you know changing contracts and stuff because of things that he's you know he hasn't now raced for a period of time so we might not even see kenny Kenny might be on a Honda, he might be on something completely different come 2023 when he returns um, because, you know, like I said, he's, I believe his contract is being is up this season. So it might be a whole bunch of shake-up and he might, might have a different outlook on how this all goes if he takes a lot more time off to uh, actually get recovered. All right, guys. So that's the Kenny talk for this uh, this episode and this update. Hopefully, you got something out of that, uh, and it's a bit more in depth than what uh, you'll be getting from some of those other sources. A lot of these guys have just repeated the information from the press release, and I try not to do that. I tried to give you that context from it to begin with, but I tried to really give you that thoughts thought breakdown and that extra, you know, allied health information that we that I that only someone like myself would have, uh, and then give you that deeper insight and understanding of what's going on. So. Look, if you if you like that insight, give us some comments when you hear it. Send us an email. It's always moto2019 at gmail.com or send us a message through our Instagram. It's always.moto. It's at always.moto on Instagram. Uh, and just let us know that you like the content or, and if you have any comments around it, um, feel free to drop them in on the show post when we put them up on, on the socials. All right, let's jump into the injury list for this week. So heading to Detroit. Who have we got injured? Obviously, Kenny's out. Um, some injuries from uh, Daytona, only minor. So we've got Brandon Shah. Uh, he was on the Club MX Yamaha. He's actually their trainer for Club MX, guys. Um, and he occasionally drops into a couple of rounds. He's obviously an ex-pro racer. Um, he was riding at Daytona on the 450 class, but he has had a pretty decent bump on the ground. Had He's got a decent hematoma on his like hips and sort of upper, like outside of the pelvis there. Um, not sure on what his plans were, whether he was just racing Daytona, whether he was going to do a couple more rounds, you know, whilst, whilst he was in the swing of things or not, or if he was literally just going to do Daytona. But I dare say, given that he's only a sort of a fill-in rider, he probably is only going to ride, uh, he probably might take a week or two off just to let that recover properly. Obviously, he's still a trainer for the guys, so he wants to make sure that he's uh, there for those guys during the week. Um, but look, at this stage, it's unclear whether he's going to try and ride anymore because I don't know what his plans were. He's not a full-time, full, full just racer only anymore. Um, so we might see him there at Detroit. Detroit, we might not. Um, he, I would expect him, but like I said, take a week at least to let that hematoma resolve so that he doesn't cause any more issues for himself. 
Next on the list is Bubba Pauly, number 282 on the Mad Parts Kawasaki SX race team. Uh, I've had a quick message with Bubba today um, before we hit record. Um, he's seen. He said that he has been seen the doctor. He, uh, he did injure his knee on a Thursday night money race before Daytona. Uh, and he wasn't able to race Daytona. So the injury, again, not actually from Daytona itself. It's just from one of those little uh, money events beforehand. He's mentioned that the doctor so far has done an x-ray. Uh, it's shown a little fracture, an, what we call an incomplete fracture in his tibia. Um, and an incomplete meaning that it doesn't go right through. So it doesn't make the bone go into two pieces. And, it, and according to Barbara, this is only very small. Uh, and his doctor's actually said that if this is the only issue... There's no reason that he couldn't be able to race uh, on the weekend. It's just literally a pain management side of things. So if he could tolerate the pain, he could race. Um, what they are doing, but is that they're confirming via MRI that there is no other issues to meniscus, ligaments, uh, and whatever other structures in that area of the pain for him in that, in that knee region. If that comes back all clear, which he said he will find out uh, in about 24 hours, and he said he's going to let us know so that we can provide an update on that for next show. Uh, if that is all clear, he may even try and be at Detroit. Uh, but I would be, be surprised if it goes well. He's probably going to find out that that tibia fracture is probably actually quite painful. Um, but look, you know, they get those uh, injections, those pain-killing injections, and he might be able to get through. Uh, so we'll have to see how that all plays out for him. But oh, fingers crossed for Bubba that there is nothing else that comes up on that MRI and hopefully it's only, you know, that minor fracture and he can can manage it and get through. From Not from Daytona as well. Like I said, there's not many actual injuries from Daytona. Um, it seems that everything's been quite quiet from that round. But from Arlington that we found out about leading into Daytona, Max Miller, number 604, the privateer KTM rider in the in the 250 class, actually broke his collarbone, but not just the collarbone fracture like you would think. It's, you know, nice clean break. Another one, kind of like Austin Faulkner, he's had a collarbone repair previously. So he's got the plate in there for that surgically repaired collarbone. He's actually managed to break the collarbone again and bend the plate, which is, you know, kind of uncomfortable you think you bend a bone and can't put it back straight because the plate stays there uh, you're going to have a very funny looking posture whilst that is uh, in that bent position so he's actually had to have that surgically removed he got that done reasonably quickly from what i understand uh, and he's had it replated and straightened back out obviously they didn't use the bent one so he's on the recovery path. He's going to be out for about four to six weeks. Uh, expect him back around outdoors, maybe the end of the Supercross if things go well, um, but it might be simpler and easier for him to be back ready for outdoors. If we go and check in on Jeremy Martin, it seems that he has had uh, shoulder surgery to correct that uh, issue that he had uh, midweek before Daytona which we briefly talked about in last episode. Um, so it would lead us to believe that that labrum was going to be too torn uh, and not stable for the shoulder um, to allow him to get through like he did last year. Uh, and that's probably just built on from the fact that he had that issue with the shoulder last year as well. So it seems like he's going to be a bit of a slow starter for outdoors because if he has had surgery on that labrum, and they've had to stitch it up, or even, you know, do maybe like we talked about the, the Lada J um, bone block that they put in that prevent dislocations from further happening for anterior dislocations. And I don't think I mentioned that actually last week, but that Lada J procedure 
only works when because they only work for anterior dislocations which is a common type of dislocation there's actually more than one type of dislocation for your shoulder but that block will actually go on the front of your shoulder um, and that stops the, the the humerus or the upper arm bone moving out in an anterior direction it doesn't work for inferior or posterior type dislocations, so it's only one type of fix so depending on what type he actually had it might have been useful it might not have been um, but look, if he's had just a labral repair, if they stitched it up, tightened it up so that it's nice and tight on that upper humerus there uh, on the ball and socket joint, it's going to still be about 8 to 12 week recovery time, which again, we're talking um, time frames here. He's going to be right on the bubble of being able to ride and get some practice in before outdoors, which for Jeremy is probably not fantastic given that he is a much more of an outdoor rider than than a supercross rider he definitely likes that series you know he favors it in terms of his results at least um he's not going to have a great start to that season and so we'll probably take a few weeks to build into that um but and even that's even if he can get there like there's still the chance that this recovery time frame is longer than that and he might miss the first few rounds we'll have to wait and see how that plays out at this stage the information on that surgery and and what the team is planning is not clear. Obviously, the only update we've seen from the Star Racing team this this week is about um, Kyle Chisholm filling in for the injured Jeremy Martin. So we'll have to wait and see in a couple of weeks when uh, Jeremy actually puts out a post. He's usually usually a bit slack on those sorts of social media updates. He's a bit after the fact, and obviously some of these higher higher riders, uh, high level guys, they don't fill out, they don't return our contacts as quickly and easy. So. We get a lot of information from the privateers and we appreciate that. We really like that those guys get back to us quickly and, and give us all the tidbits that we can um, pass on to you guys so that you guys, you, all you fans can be up to date. But guys at Jeremy's level tend to keep these things a bit closer to the chest and it takes us a bit more, a bit more effort and a bit more time to get that stuff from them. So we'll see how he goes uh, and what we can find out in the next few weeks and we'll bring something to you as soon as we know more. Um, but at this stage, like I said, there is that little bit of a risk that he's not going to be 100% come outdoors and may miss a round or two just yet. We'll see how that works out. All right. Um, look, at this stage, there's not too much else new here. There are all some sort of older injuries. We will me- we'll mention that Alex Ray is planning to be back on the bike this weekend for Detroit. Um, Preston Kilroy missed Daytona um, after that concussion at Arlington, but he probably should be back this weekend as well. Um, try to check in with Remy Alves. He's had a concussion at Arlington. He's also missed Daytona. Haven't heard back from from Remy, um, but I kind of expect that he should be ready to go by Detroit as well. Um, and Cody Shock's still a bit of a question mark um, with that knee issue that he had from Arlington. He also had that bruised lung hematoma on his right shoulder. Um, but his knee seems to be the bit that's still worrying me when I'm looking at his updates that he's putting out because he's still wearing one of his braces on that left leg just as a support mechanism. So that tells me that it's a little bit more damaged than he uh, wants to admit to everybody maybe. And uh, it's uh, going to take him a couple more weeks yet. So I don't expect to see him in Detroit, but we, we could be surprised. We'll see how that works out. All right, that's the injury list for this week. Like I said, a bit of a short one, um, which is probably a good thing because we've got a nice long interview coming up with uh, Van Martin shortly. Now, if we move over to our fantasy chat, so 
Always Moto Fantasy League. We've got uh, all you guys are in there. Like I said, we're chasing those points down for the GOAT brand MX knee brace socks. Uh, that's the first place prize winner. Um, and then we've got for second and third, we've got some uh, sunglasses and a cap thanks to False Neutral Industries. So we appreciate those sponsors coming on board uh, to provide some uh, prizes for the for the league winners. Now, if we jump in, uh, I'm just clicking over to the Daytona results here. Um, a little bit of a different round for most people here. I had an absolute crap round in this one. I was down in 21st, which is not not pleasant. I think I, I can't remember who it was. I got oh, that's right, Kyle Peters. Oh, we've missed Kyle Peters on this injury list. Actually, Kyle Peters has bruised up some ribs. Uh, he's mentioned he checked in with we checked in with him briefly. He hasn't told us whether he's going to ride or not or yet. He wasn't sure when we spoke to him earlier in the week. But yeah, I had Kyle Peters, so we we lost out on some points there. But the round winner for Daytona in the Always Motor Fantasy League on Pulp MX uh, was MX Goat. He got 234 points for the round. Uh, and then next up was in second was Simo597. He got 225. Uh, and tied with him was our, was my mate Ben Grinley. Uh, he had a good round finally. He must have got eight. Eight is great, mate, in the in the, uh, in the in for the D- Daytona round. Uh, and look, the usual suspects are up here. Um, our our comp leader, uh, Scrubbin MBW, is in fifth. Racing for the Sun, which is TJ from Moto X Pod Show, he was in sixth. Uh, and look, for the rest of the round, we had, well, look, we had a couple of people forget to put in rounds, uh, put in their picks for the round. Now, if you want to, guys, there is a system with these Pulp MX Fantasy that you can pay for some mulligans, uh, which is where if you forget to um, put in your tips for the week, it will automatically pick uh, a team for you. But you've got to have that paid for in advance and that way you won't miss out and you can stay in the hunt. So these guys, oh, look, Motorbike Medic, he was up there early in the season, but he's missed the round last week. So maybe he should uh, look into that mulligan system that you can purchase through Pulp MX. So if we jump onto the series overall now for the league, we still have, oh, no, and we've picked out the wrong one. We've got Daytona and that. Hold on two seconds, guys. So the overall lead, Scrubbin MBW is killing us. Uh, he is at, well, actually, no, he's not killing us. We've got a tie in first place. He's two, 2,167, and he's tied with MX Goat. And then there's only actually a two-point gap back to Jack Youngblood in third. But that's when the that's when the gap starts to open up. We go back to 2,124 points. We've got GMC 230, MX Nut in fifth, Racing for the Sun, TJ. Mate, you're in sixth. Doing all right, but you're a good 100 points out. We drop back down. Top 10 finishes. Uh, top 10 is uh, Thomas125, uh, uh, ben Grinley, you're in 12th, mate. Going all right. I've dropped down to 15th, so I'm not happy with myself. I'm in on 1,941 points. Uh, we keep going down. We've got Pup275. He's from False Neutral Industries. He's on 1,822. Funnily enough, he, he was the one that was leading the comp early when he came into it uh, in about round two for us. Uh, and now he's languishing down in 18th. I don't think he's quite got the handle on how this goes yet. But anyway, he got a good opening, but he's he's faded off now. 19th, we've got Aaron from Full Noise. Uh, in 22nd, we've got Clint, Clinton Fowler, who's um, our stats man, three laps down. He's helping out the NBC broadcast team. 
with stats for their uh you know their tv show um so he's pretty it's pretty cool that he's in our comp but he, like i said to you guys a few weeks ago i checked with him in with clinton about his uh his scores lately here thinking that he should be doing a bit better knowing all these stats of his and he just said he's hitting send mode every week so <laughs> it's pretty funny that he's uh just trying to go for the wins it seems like but um anyway and then dragging it up at the end of the field, we've got Get to the Chopper. That's our man Nath from Goat Brand MX who's providing that first place prize for us. So, look, guys, it's it's going pretty good. Keep keep tagging the, the your teams up onto your Instagram stories, tagging Always Moto, tagging Goat Brand MX and False Neutral Industries. Uh, and we'll share that around each week uh, and just have a bit of fun with it. So, yeah, stick to it, guys. Thanks to those sponsors, Goat Brand MX and False Neutral Industries. All right, let's move over. I'm going to do a little intro here just on the Van Martin interview. So we've got about 40 minutes or so with Van here, and he runs through everything to do with the injury that he had in Minneapolis. Now, in case we didn't cover some of this stuff because we sort of just ran with where we're all heading um, with Van, he he was obviously still in a bit of pain. He's laying on the couch. He's not able to do too much. So we we got the information that we could um, and had a decent chat with him. But just to make sure we haven't missed anything, I'll give you a little bit of information here. So Van's injury is a T6-7 compression fracture. He's needed to have two surgeries, um, one to initially fuse it and two to actually correct some stuff that they didn't quite get right in the first surgery. He had from T2 to T10 fused and that required two rods and 15 screws to be inserted into his spine. Uh, He's now also got 60 staples in the wound that goes from about his basically his whole chest region he's got the the cut right down the spine there uh, in that chest area and look that's that in itself is not comfortable and will take a fair bit of recovery just that wound side of things not to mention all that hardware that's now been inserted into his chest region and when they fuse um, vertebrae or fuse any joint that means that that joint no longer moves and that is an intended outcome by the surgeon to protect the layers or the levels in between that are under repair from the injury. So usually when they do a fusion for a spinal um, level, say you do, like in Van's case, say it was just T6, normally they would do two levels above and two levels below. So they would probably normally fuse from about T4 down to about T8. Um, But given he did multiple levels, and as Van discussed in the interview, he actually fractured, done this compression fracture on a few levels above previously and multiple times, the surgeons have taken this step to actually fuse a few more levels above and below just to increase a lot more stability for him. Now, whether that means that he then has, um, he probably won't have very much movement through that thoracic spine at all now. You don't have heaps in the first place. Uh, Most of your movement will come from your lumbar spine and from above in your neck when you're doing bending and flexing. Um, There's a little bit of rotation work that happens through your thoracic spine, a little bit of extension flexion, but not a lot. Um, So he'll probably have very limited range of motion through that area now with that fusion. He'll also have a lot of pain um, and he will do for quite some time with that. And he will find that when he does try to move and he catches those that fusion as such, uh, it might be a little bit painful as it tries to press into different things for him. Now, interestingly enough, that bit that we talk about in this interview where these screws were actually put into his muscle and not into the bone, that's a bit of a whoops moment from the surgeons there. And luckily that they fixed that up rather quickly. 
Um, but it's still still amazing to me that these sorts of uh, you know things happen. Obviously, everybody's human, but that one doesn't seem to be doesn't seem to be too too flash and too too too. Um, it would have been too very difficult to do, to be honest. Um, you would have I would have thought they'd notice. But anyway, uh, he sounds like he's on the improve. Um, the the fact of the matter is that the, this will be a very long recovery for him um, in terms of being able to be back to normal. As he says in the interview, he's going to be looking to try and be getting around in the next few weeks a little bit more because he does have some things that he needs to do just to, to live and to get some you know normal normal money in um, so that he can still pay his bills. Like he said, he mentions his truck payments and those sorts of things. So hopefully for Van, um, everything works out reasonably well. Um, and he can actually start moving on from this and getting back to normal over the next few weeks. Now, I'm just going to try and find here quickly before we get too far. Now, Van has been supported by the Road to Recovery guys. And if you actually jump on their website, um, you can go to roadtorecovery.com forward slash cause dash view. So that's C-A-U-S-E dash V-I-E-W forward slash and then Van-Martin, so V-A-N-N-M-A-R-T-I-N. You'll actually go to Van Martin's uh, Road to Recovery page where you can actually donate some funds to Van to try and help him during this time. Um, And I've just jumped on that page and so far there's $20,000 raised for Van, but he's going to need a lot more money than that just in the medical bills alone. But as he says, it actually helps. They've been, Road to Recovery has been helping him with funds for week to week side of things because as he said, this is his main, uh, this is his job. Uh, he's now basically unemployed uh, and he needs all the support that he can get. So if anybody out there listening can s- provide some financial support for Van, feel free to jump on the Road to Recovery site that we just listed there. Uh, and it's Road Road 2 with a number 2, as in R-O-A-D-2, number 2, R-E-C-O-V-E-R-Y.com, roadtorecovery.com. Jump on there, look for Van Martin, and then hit the Donate Here button. Um, so let's jump into the interview. We'll pop, drop this in now and uh, we'll be back just after the uh, interview is done. All right, guys and girls, we're right here on the Always Moto podcast. Uh, we've got a very special guest this week. We've got um, Van Martin. He's number 421 on the Next Level Racing TTMX Yamaha. Um, he's had a pretty significant injury uh, a couple of weeks ago. Uh, and he's uh, joining. He's, he's on the couch. He's in pain. He's joining us here. We're really appreciative. He's given us some time to tell us what's been going on for him. Uh, welcome to the show, Van. Yeah, I appreciate you all having me on. I'm excited to do this. Yeah, look, it's it's great that you've been able to do it. I, I know you've been having a bit of a rough couple of weeks there since um, it was Minneapolis, wasn't it, that the injury happened at? Yeah, yeah, it's been. Uh... Man, it's been hell the last couple of weeks, but the last few days are starting to get a little bit better, and uh, I'm getting up and off the couch. And um, I got my doctor said I I don't have to wear my brace 24 seven like the doctors originally said. So that's a hell of a lot better. And uh, a bit more man, I'm for getting you, up yeah. and moving around, and yeah, it's definitely I'm getting more and more comfortable, and the pain still pretty gnarly but it seems to be getting a little bit better each day yeah right so is the pain like specifically at that point that you 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 fractured there in the back or is it just like now all over your back yeah it's basically right there where they had to 
do the operation at, but also like, I don't know, my ribs really hurt bad. And I was surprised that uh, I had them x-ray that twice. Uh, <laughs> Just double check. Because I don't know how I don't. Yeah, I don't know how I don't have any broken ribs because um, it hurts just – it just really hurts to take, like, a really deep breath. And uh, a couple of days ago, my, my shoulder, like, the where my shoulder blade kind of meets in the middle of your back, Yeah. Um, it, it started hurting. But I think – I go to my doctor again in two days to get the staples out, but I think it's because they had to do one surgery – and they didn't really like where the screws were. They said the screws were the top two screws, especially on the right side, were like in my muscle. It wasn't in my vertebrae. So yeah, they had I, to take them out and I then put them back in. I saw that story that you put up on Instagram about that. And I sort of had a double take. I had to listen to that a couple of times. I was like, how did they miss that one? Like, was that, that obviously wasn't planned. And, and yeah. it's probably given you some grief along the way by the sounds of it, too. Yeah, I think that's where my my shoulder pain is kind of coming from. Where they had to, they they basically said that my my back muscles were like, like for me not being like a, you know, I'm not like a muscle head like a gnarly <laughs> workout guy or anything. But they said my back muscles were like so extremely strong that they couldn't really tell a difference in them getting my spine or my muscles and uh they they were and i I just i was trying to explain to them i mean i've been riding dirt bikes since i was three years old and you don't really most doctors don't realize how active and how like strong we actually are like we're using our back muscles a lot when you're riding since i mean since i've been a kid so uh, yeah of course my back's gonna be pretty strong um yeah exactly. but they weren't really expecting that and it's, uh I still think that when they put gonna put the screws in that the feeling like it, most people listening would have you know done some sort of screw into a timber or whatever you get that feeling that it's going into a firm you know end point uh, you would have thought that it wouldn't have actually gripped anything that that when they were finishing that off like in the muscle it would just turn you would have thought so bit of an yeah. odd situation you find uh, yourself in there yeah and they were they were using this thing called navigation um, to make sure they got well to make sure for one they didn't hit the spinal cord and uh, that they are getting the screws in the spine and they still missed and yeah. I think that's what um, that's what's giving me discomfort and like my my doctor back home was kind of like talking crap on them like dude i would have <laughs> i would have never missed that you know like they were using i wouldn't i wouldn't have even he was like i would wouldn't have even used navigation and i still would have got that thing in there and i'm just like oh great yeah, yeah. But, <laughs> F- filled you with confidence uh, for that but, one yeah yeah but I, i'm i'm glad they noticed it and they in the next surgery they scheduled me in right away like once they realized they kind of screwed up they uh they they got me set up right away and I had that next surgery and like within a few hours and um, so I'm glad they, they fixed it, you know? Yeah, of course. And you don't want to be hanging around with that for, for weeks on end, not realizing what's going on there and having other pains that would have been, been, been bad. So no, I'm glad they, they noticed that. So look, let's, um, Let's drop back a little bit in the story. We've probably sort of jumped ahead a little bit. Um, so the day of the incident, um, it, the crash that you popped up with a video of it, it wasn't too major, but mm. you, you managed to do yourself a really good yeah. good mischief, you know? So talk us through how the day was going beforehand. Man, the day was 
was awesome. I, yeah, and I'm glad you asked that because I've been, um, I don't know, a lot of people, uh, like I want to say a lot of people know me in the industry, but I'm not really like talked about that much, honestly, being a privateer. And uh, I've been doing this for nine years now and just steadily kind of getting better. And people on the outside don't really notice that. Um, but like, if you look at my, I was steadily each weekend, I've been qualifying better and better going up to that point. And then in that practice, I was actually sitting second behind Vince freeze for a while. And, yeah, right. uh, nice. and then I, yeah. And then, and then when I, even when I crashed, um, I finished the practice and I was still fifth on the board. Like as I'm getting on, like hauled off, I looked up and I'm like, damn, that's pretty sick. I'm still on the board. <laughs> and there's like two minutes left to the practice and i've been i've been trying to get out of like that i went from these the first few rounds like barely squeaking the night shows and then qualifying around 30th and then like that practice i would have been around like 26 so yeah it was you're like, on the improve the day yeah. was going yeah the day was going really really good so um but yeah the crash wasn't it wasn't that bad dude i think that just like I clipped a jump a little bit. I wouldn't even say a case to that bad, but what you can't really see in that video is that the landing was super dry. That was one of the, like the dry spots because everyone had been kind of landing and rolling into that corner all day. And yeah, yeah. since I clipped it, since I clipped it a little bit, I think what I did wrong is I should have kind of landed on the throttle, but I didn't want to like, like throttle and just go straight because it was right in that 90 you know i didn't want to jump like almost into the wall right there yeah you didn't so know the track pretty quick I landed, on that one. yeah exactly so i landed still i was thinking the case wouldn't affect me that bad so i landed still on the brakes and with it being so dry right there the front end just kind of pushed with me landing on the front brake and the front end just washed out and then it kind of sent me into a high side and if you like really slow the video down, I just took a lot of impact like into my neck that kind of pushed down yep. into my spine. Like it wasn't bad. It was just a funky way that I landed. And um, man, I don't know. I feel like I've taken a lot harder hits than that and walked mm -hmm. off fine. So it was, it was kind of weird ordeal, but I'm, I'm definitely just, I'm thankful to be walking and feeling everything and, um, yeah so that's I'm then thankful that i'm prop i'm not gonna make a 100 percent recovery is what it looks like so yeah I'm so happy that's, for the that. next, that's the next bit of the story then isn't it so like you actually did do a pretty decent injury in that that t6 t7 fracture and like obviously for those listening at t t being thoracic meaning right in the middle of your chest area for the for the vertebrae that you've you've done and seven being sort of middle middle of that area um it's a pretty like it's generally stable in that area, you know, from all the ribs and that um, supporting the area, but it, you've, you, you really like that, that first x-ray that you put up on your, on your Instagram. Um, it really looked like you just completely pancaked that, that T7 vertebrae. Like there was nothing much of that left really at all. Was there? Yeah, no, it was, yeah, it looked really bad in the x-ray. Like whenever, uh, man, it's crazy. The whole ordeal, like I literally, when I crashed, I, I walked on the side of the track 
like I literally walked over the side of the track and I'm just trying to catch my breath, you know, and the medic came over me right away and he's like, what's wrong? What's wrong? And I couldn't really talk. So I'm trying to catch my breath and, uh, and I'm just like my back, my back. Um, he's like, you, do you need the stretcher? Can you feel everything? Can you move? I'm like, yeah. I, Cause I've actually compression fractured T5 and T6 twice before. Oh, really? Um, before that. Yeah. So, um, and one of the times was actually in Minneapolis. If you want, I don't know if some of the fans listening want to go back and look to my Instagram 2019 Minneapolis. Um, I had a pretty gnarly crash and I just had small compression fracture to T5 and T6. Um, and that was the second time I'd done that. And you, you got so some bad I'm juju in Minneapolis track. or something, man. Yeah, I guess. And the same thing happened last Yeah, the same thing happened last year too. I mean, in 2019 when I crashed, I was finally starting to uh it was like more in the middle of the season, but um I was finally starting to find my stride and I was I was on the board that practice too. So I've always rode well in Minneapolis, but yeah. had some uh, some bad crashes, I guess, but um yeah, and then so the doctor, the medics asked me on the side of the track, what's wrong? And I'm like, man, I'm pretty sure I, I probably got some broken ribs and I, I got like a compression fracture in my back. He's like, can you walk across the track? I'm like, I need help, but yeah, I can, I can do that. And so he helped me across the track and then I kind of climbed onto the medic rig and, um, and then they brought me back there. And like, it was kind of crazy that I knew just what was wrong with my back and all the doctors kind of blown away about that but um when i saw the x-ray like what you were saying i was like wow um i was just thinking like a few probably a few compression fractures but i saw that and i was just like whoa like i i can't believe i i just walked even like i I really believe i just was walking off the track yeah that's pretty impressive when you think about that isn't it yeah it is. It, it looked like from the x-rays that I should be paralyzed. Like it really did. And, uh, but the thing was that in the, so the x-ray angle was from like the right side of my body, I believe. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. but when you look at it on the left side, it didn't look that bad. Like it didn't oh, really, I never, I didn't post the left side. Yeah. The left side of it didn't look as bad as the right side. So, um, that was kind of weird how that kind of well, worked too. And that's probably what saved you then in terms of the, the cord aspect too. If the, if, if only sort of one mm-hmm. side of it compressed down, you obviously still had some structure there holding it together, you know, um, from the left, which maybe, maybe was the saving grace for you, mate. Yeah, definitely. I think so. So how quickly once this all, you know, you had this x-ray in, in hospital, how quickly did they go, oh, you know, sort of, oh shit, we got to get you in and get this stable. Like when did they start doing that? How quickly after the, you got there? Dude, it sucked. <laughs> it, I don't know. It, I, I didn't eat for 24 hours while oh. they're, yeah. And they weren't giving me any water and I just ate a mouthful of dirt, you know, so my throat is just so dry. Like, I can barely talk and um but they were worried because there was blood um there was blood from the muscles that i damaged during the crash that was push putting pressure on my spinal cord 
Okay, yeah. So like my my feet were tingly, my hands I still have numbness in my hands and in my ribs. Um and like I I was they were worried that I was about to start losing feeling because there's more and more blood coming. Yeah, pressure um, adding building so up they in that basically, area. Yeah, so they're basically I was like on standby um for surgery because they were waiting they wanted to see if it was going to start building pressure and i was going to start losing feeling they were going to go in right away and they were actually going to take a piece of my vertebrae out to let the blood kind of relieve the pressure off of the spinal cord and then they would take that vertebrae out and then later on um then have another surgery where they put it back in and then kind of fixed it, you know? So they were kind of just, they wanted to avoid that first surgery if they could. So they were just trying to see the reason the holdup was, was that they were trying to see if the blood was going to um, start going down or if it was going to build up. Yeah. Okay. So what you, you basically went the whole 24 hours from the time you got in there to before anything happened and, yeah, that's a. I've been in a similar situation where I was waiting for a surgery and they wouldn't let you eat because because obviously if you have anything in your stomach, you know that there's the risk that you yeah. you can vomit and you aspirate it and all that sort of stuff. So it sucks when you're just sitting there looking at people eating and you're like, I want something to eat. I want a drink. Even just give me water. You know, it's yeah. a terrible feeling, isn't it? Yeah. So no, then, yeah. Then so 24 hours without eating, it was actually more than 24 hours, dude. I I forgot how long it ended up being, but then. But then, so they're they're waiting. They're coming in. I'm in ICU because yeah. they're they're really monitoring me to make sure I don't start losing feeling. Yeah. And um, so they're they're checking on me every hour, doing all these tests on me, saying, "Push, can you pull like with your hands? Can you push with your feet? Do you, can you feel this? Can you feel this?" And um, so I think it was like it was. It was probably 30 hours. I don't know how long it was. It was a couple of days. Yeah. Um, and then they said I could eat because it was going to be another day until they can do surgery because it looks like the blood wasn't putting pressure on my cord. So now they're going to sh- kind of take their time. It's not a, it's not a rush. And then they got me in my own room and then I could eat. And dude, it was, it was a solid couple of days until they did <laughs> surgery. I, it may have been. I don't know. All the days kind of blended together. Uh, my wife could probably tell you better, but yeah, um, you probably doped up on it, pain meds it, at this point too. Yeah, yeah. It just it was. I don't know. It was all two. It may have been three days. So the crash happened on. Oh yeah, it was Tuesday when I had surgery. Yeah, right. So, so three days. Yeah, yeah. So in the crash happened on Saturday. So yeah, three days, and then uh, yeah, it's rough. Yeah. So it was. Yeah, and then they said what sucked is after waiting all that time, not eating, not drinking, then they're like, "Oh, you can you can eat and drink for the next like twelve hours until we got to cut you off." Yeah, then you got to stop again. Yeah. Yeah. What the hell? (laughs) It was not. So that first surgery, they get in there finally, like three days later. And they, they, what did they tell you they were going to do? And, and did it match up what ended up coming out? Because I feel like you got fused maybe a bit, bit longer area, like the higher and lower that they do above those fracture sites. I would have thought they'd be a bit closer, but they obviously went 
a lot more stability for you with the where they've done it to was that what they planned going in yeah and i think that's why uh they were really discussing uh, what was kind of cool is they were, they were talking to my doctor a little bit too and uh and so they were really discussing like what was the best way to go about it um and so they typically like to do if there's two vertebrae that are broken they like to fuse two above and two below yeah yep. so it's stable and uh they ended up going a little extra because uh i, f- I forgot why but just looking at the x-ray i guess i'd had some previous injuries or something i've i've messed my back up a lot and uh and sometimes having we got it checked out or anything, but um, <laughs> I, I think there was like some of the vertebrae below that they didn't really like, and they wanted some bigger ones. So okay, yeah, that makes sense. Um, they just went past that, and uh, so that's what took a while too. Is just them kind of discussing what they thought the best route would be, basically. Yeah, so you've ended up T two to T ten fused, which is a pretty much you know you've only got t1 and t11 and 12 that aren't fused in your thoracic vertebra so that's a big section of that you know chest area that is now not moving at all sort of thing so it's a big area mm-hmm. yeah yeah definitely I, and i asked my doctor about that back home and he was like man you're i mean he knows how i am he's done multiple surgeries on me and um he's like you're gonna lose 10 percent of your range of motion but you it won't really be enough to notice because that part of your body doesn't move a lot anyways mm, yeah. really so um he's not really worried about that part of it much no and so. look that that's something you'll just have to work on you know in in a couple of months time sort of thing when you actually get get back to that point of you know being allowed to move a bit more but yeah you're gonna notice mm. it to some degree but luckily that area doesn't move heaps anyway so it's not like it's um not like it's your lumbar spine and you just fused all of it you wouldn't be able to bend forward at all sort of thing so probably um yeah not too bad in that sense but um yeah exactly so and then that second surgery like we said we said earlier about the missing the the thing the um missing the bone for a couple of those ones with the screws were they quickly like you said they were quickly in there so was that like less than a day or something that they went back in and you had to have surgery again yeah yeah that was it was definitely less than a day i felt like my wife said it was it was a while but i felt like it was literally immediately after they like woke me up and said hey um we gotta go back in there and i'm like all right let's well let's let's go (laughs) we gotta do it like and in the surgery it took the first surgery they estimated um eight hours i think really yeah, and it took 10. Oh, geez. And then the time. second surgery. Yeah, the second surgery. Babe, are you around? What was the first surgery? Yeah, 10, and they said it was going to be eight, right? Yeah. Yeah, and then the second surgery, they said it would only be a, f- a few hours, three, and then it was like five. So it took them a lot longer too 
Well, so. I'm hoping that second surgery being, if they've extended it out to the five hours, I'm hoping they went through and like checked everything else that they did to make sure nothing else was sort of wrong. They figured, you know, while you're there, just double check all the work. Maybe that's what took a little bit longer that next time around. Yeah, I hope so too. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, uh, yeah. My doctor back home, he was, he just said, I, oh yeah, I already told you, but I go to him on Thursday. I just saw him last tuesday as well um and that's what he's done multiple multiple like he's in knee surgeries on me wrist surgeries but he's a actually spine specialist like that's what yeah yeah um like that he that's his profession but he just hooked me up with these other surgeries because we've been we're friends and he's my dad's friend and he's actually used to race moto and he used to race moto and outdoors and stuff back in like the 80s or 90s or oh. yeah i think it was 80s that's cool but, hopefully um, it probably so understands what you're going through a bit more. yeah exactly and uh but when he took the images last tuesday he was like super pumped on how well they did so that's that's good gives me satisfaction kind of knowing yeah. that and then um i go to him on thursday to get these 60 staples out of my back which was a little excessive too i think but um <laughs> Your zipper yeah. on the back is quite impressive. That photo you put up where you're standing there with the shirt off and the, you can see the wound up the back. Like, I think that got a lot of people's attention too. Like, it's it's pretty big area that they've had to, you know, open you up for. Yeah, definitely. It was, yeah, and that's what they told me going in there. had to cut me pretty wide. And I'm like, all right, well, whatever you got to do, basically. Yeah. So, um, yeah, no, don't worry about it. I'll, I'll worry. I can't see back there. It's okay. <laughs> yeah uh, so how cool anyway so. so how did this all like so you're in still in minneapolis for these surgeries you know how did you get back because mm-hmm. you're you're a texas resident yep um so yeah that part sucked too um <laughs> because we're in the hospital for a week straight and my wife had to leave every night at eight because of covid stuff oh, really? and so, uh, yeah, I had to extend a hotel for, like, a whole another week for her to stay there. And then she couldn't come back in until 10 o'clock every morning. And um, – but then we we didn't really know. We kind of – we canceled our flight. And then we – I had to – my mechanic stayed a couple of days extra, too. And then he brought the rental car back. So, I had to kind of extend my rental car a couple of days. And then um, – canceled the rental car and then canceled our flight because we didn't really really know when we we're gonna fly back and then and then we kind of got more of an idea and like the day before um yeah we flew out on saturday but like friday morning we booked a flight and i was like look I, i'm pretty much short on almost like we we got a flight for saturday afternoon six o'clock and it, we found a first class flight for fairly cheap so we were kind of happy about that um and i was like look i like i gotta make this flight and they weren't i had this drain in my back too after surgery yeah um draining all the blood out where they worked around and they were kind of they kept it in for longer than they'd like because it kept bleeding and that Mm. was kind of the hold up that they were worried about taking it out too early 
Um, but I was just trying to get out of there. I was like, look, I'll bring the, <laughs> You're done I'll bring the damn drain home with me if I need to. Like, you don't have to take the drain out. I could bring it home yeah. and have my doctor take it out if it's still bleeding. Like, but I'm leaving here on Saturday night. Like, I'm leaving. So, so how did the flight yeah, go that, for you? Like, you, you sit up the whole time or were you able, being in first class, did you yeah. at least get like one of those, um, you know, like those beds that they have in some of the, the flights nowadays? Were you able to get something like that or how did it work out for you? I'm mm, guessing it wasn't comfortable. No, it, it, it wasn't very comfortable at all. And uh, the other thing was they gave me like this like really small, like low milligram oxycodons for pain pills that like yeah i told like it was basically it was like three milligrams or something and it and it was every four hours and i felt like they weren't doing much but and i took one like i tried to suffer through the airport um and i took one like right before we got on the flight to try to make it through the whole flight the three-hour flight yeah and yeah it was very uncomfortable but and yeah, I showed my doctor what they gave me. He's like, dude, this is nothing. I can't believe they, you just had a back surgery and they give you like pain meds for kids. Like, yeah. <laughs> that's yeah. When you're saying the amount, yeah. it's a very small dose. So it's not much at all. It would have yeah, barely scratched was, the surface yeah. for you, man. Exactly. So that was not helping. And then we also, another thing that happened when we first got to the airport, I asked for a wheelchair. Um, so we get, we get a wheelchair, the the wheelchair lady like pushes it to me and then uh, my wife goes and checks her bags and the the main cabin line was like super long. So I'm, I'm like super pumped we put book first, first class because that line, there was like no line for first class and we're sitting there looking at the line and then the lady in the wheelchair pushes us the wrong way. I'm like, hey, we need to go through security. She's like, oh yeah, I know. And uh, I just have to go to my supervisor to have me. Uh, she she needed to stamp my boarding pass so that her supervisor can basically. She had the stamp that gave her the okay to push me all the way through security or something. Oh yeah, okay. Bull yeah. crap like that. Yeah. And dude, we go over to where her supervisor is supposed to be at her little desk, and we're sitting there for twenty minutes oh. waiting on this lady to come. Yeah, just what you and needed. we didn't. I, I really, yeah, just like I'm sitting in this wheelchair, just in pain, and I just want to like move. I just want to get going, get to the gate or something. We, we wanted to get some food too before we got on the plane. Yeah, and um, I didn't really give ourselves much time in the airport because I was like just trying to relax as long as I could until we had to go to the airport. So we're kind of pushing it on time and we're sitting here for 20 minutes and this lady, she was like an Indian lady. She barely spoke English. Yeah. And um, I just had my last straw when she, this nice older white lady came up to her and asked her how to get to basically like the pack, the passenger pickup area because yeah. her husband was waiting. On her. And the Indian lady was like, Oh, you got, you got to go this way. You got to, go up that elevator you're in the wrong terminal and i was like i'm listening to this lady not even this is supposed to be her job and not even know that like she just literally the lady needed to just go downstairs to the baggage claim and her husband would have been right there i was literally <laughs> the escalators are right there and i'm like i'm like ma'am she's telling you the wrong thing you just need to go 
downstairs right there to baggage claim. She's like, well, I don't have any bags. I'm like, it doesn't matter. That's, that's where your husband's going to be. That's the, the passenger pickup area. You, you, all you have to do is go downstairs. No, nothing different. <laughs> and, and then I was like, you know what? I'm walking through security. Like I could not handle just waiting any longer. Oh, so you got yourself out of the chair and forced it on yourself. Yeah. So I just oh, man. got out in the chair. The lady's like, wait, 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 wait. I'm like, no, I'm tired of waiting. I can walk through security. There's no line. I'm looking at, there's no line at all. Yeah. And so I got up, I walked through security and on the other side of security, they got me a wheelchair and then they got me on a cart and brought me to security. But it was just like the most frustrating thing ever. Like dealing with this dumb lady at the airport. <laughs> just what you need. You're in super amount of pain and you just, yeah, you, <laughs> all those little things just would piss you off just to no end. And yeah, you just want to go yeah. and sit on the plane and go home. So yeah, I can understand it yeah. would have been a shitty situation for you, man. But, um, but yeah. yeah. So all these, all these extra bits and pieces that you've had to then do, you know, change flights, change rental cars, um, you know, first class ticket to get home. So you're a bit more comfortable. I gather these costs are starting to add up, man. Is this where the road to recovery sort of side of things has started to kick in and help for you? Yeah, definitely. Um, that's that road recovery stuff's helping out big time. And, um, man, I just have a lot of good people in the Houston area, mainly that just want to help out. Um, I've been doing this for a while now, you know, racing pro. And uh, like I said earlier, like people that read racer X and stuff may not know this, but I've been racing pro now for nine years. And in Houston um, people, there's a big Houston moto scene and people really respect that and really kind of look up to me, you know? So I have a big, like a bunch of supportive people in Houston that just want to help out. And it's, it's so awesome to have people like that. And just, um, I had a lot of people just give me donations while I'm in the hospital and, and oh, awesome. donating the road to recovery, which helped out a ton. And just, um, man, people were asking in all directions, what do you, what do you need? What do you need? What do you need? And, um, it's just people like that that helped me helps get us through all those, all the expenses that we had to get through. That's that's awesome, man. It's one of those things I think the the motocross community does really well is step up and support people when when they are injured. And I think obviously because a lot a lot of the time they've been in similar situations and had similar stories, so they know what you're going through. But that's awesome they've been able to step up. But before we forget, quickly, we'll just point out that on your Instagram uh, in the the bio link, there's there is your road to recovery link there. That if anybody listening does want to go on that link and and provide some uh some support for for van it'd be much appreciated he's still got obviously a lot of stuff to go through just yet which we'll we'll start covering shortly so yeah check that link out guys it'll help van out a lot if you can donate anything yeah yeah that would be awesome because uh and it also it helps out road recovery it doesn't just help out like all the medical expenses but it also helps me like right now i'm i'm technically unemployed for I'm going to be unemployed for a while until I can get back on my feet and get back to training kids. So it helps with road to recovery. Also that helped me with like, you know, like my, my van payment, my like just normal daily payments, you know, that I got to make um, to live basically. So it's not just medical. It's like literally with everything. Oh, so awesome big thanks to those guys. And 
Yeah, it's awesome. Yeah. We've got this in the in the sport to to support you guys when you do get to that point. Because yeah, you you do like you said, you become unemployed for that period of time that the injury is taking you out, and all those other little things other than just that going to the races that you would normally do week to week to try and make some some extra coin to get to the races. You're not doing obviously. So yeah, it yeah, it's good that they're they're looking after you. You know, not just the medical expenses because that's obviously high. But there's obviously more to it than that. So that's awesome that they're able to help in more than one way. So that's great. Yeah, exactly. So what um so moving forward now, what have they said to you about when you're gonna be able to maybe even, you know, get back to just wandering around normally so you can go and do the training, like you said, that you do some some motocross coaching. You know, when when have they given you sort of that sort of time frame that you might be able to look at doing that again? Uh man, I haven't even really asked too much i'm just i'm really at uh whenever i get to my doctor on thursday i'll have more of a uh, more of an idea on that but right now i'm just i'm kind of just taking it day by day it's like it's so gnarly painful that i'm just like <laughs> i don't even really care at this point i'm like man i just i want this pain to go away and then we'll start we'll start looking at when i could get up and start getting around you know so um I know a lot more on Thursday and I'll kind of, I'll probably post some stuff on my social. I know there's a lot of kids that I train in the Houston area that are missing me right now. And, um, mm-hmm. there's a lot of kids actually right now right, that I train that are racing all these amateur nationals, um, that I would love to be there for, but, um, it kind of, it kind of works out on one hand because they don't really, they don't necessarily need me to be there, you know? So, um, like this week we had the freestone James Stewart spring championship coming up that like most every one of my kids that are training racing. Yeah. So I'm going to, I'm going to try to stop by there one day and just say hi to everyone. It's like, and it's two hours from my house. So it's not too far. Okay. And, uh, but, but technically they wouldn't be training that week anyway. So the, cause they're going to be racing. So, mm. um, that kind of helps me out on one hand too. So, um yeah I don't, I don't i'm not quite sure yet when i'm gonna get back to training kids but i couldn't see it being much too longer probably three weeks or so two three weeks probably yeah that that's what i thought you know probably another month and you'd be at least able to stand on your feet for a period of time to um you know be standing next mm-hmm. to the track and and giving them some guidance so yeah that hopefully that's how long and nothing else you know goes astray and you can sort of start getting back to a bit of normal stuff but i gather the the right back riding yourself is probably a conversation for for we're talking probably a couple of months um in, in all that sort of picture yet yeah for sure and i i actually went out to the track the other day um and it was like two days after i got home um from surgery and uh because this was their last week of training before these uh, amateur nationals. Yeah. And um, I do everything out at TTMX. I, I do the track work. I bring the kids to the gym. I, um, I train them on the bike. Um, and so that week when I got home, my dad knows how to run operate a dozer really well. And my mechanic helps out with the water truck. And um, I had another buddy help out um, like on the tractor and, and I, so I went out to the track for a day and just kind of told them what they needed to do kind of as far as track work to get the track ready for the week. So, um, went out to the track that one day already, which may have been too soon. Cause it was hell later that <laughs> afternoon. <laughs> um, 
so I'll, I'll be back at the track soon for sure yeah it was nice that you're still able to at least support those guys with a few people helping you out to get that last week of training in by the sounds of it so uh, how many mm. kids you got out there that you're training at that ttmx man it gets crazy during the summer during the summer i have uh, a big bike group and a little bike group um every and we ride every monday through thursday and i'll have like 10 to 15 kids in each group that's a decent and amount. so like 30 yeah so like 30 kids for a day but during the uh, right now during school um like the week before i got hurt i have a i have a a morning and an after school group too on tuesdays and thursdays and um during school school whenever school is going on we train every tuesday wednesday thursday and i have my morning group and my morning group's about it's, it's slowed down definitely since school started um but the other week i had 10 kids in a morning group and then afternoon group i had another 10 kids so i don't know i average just it's somewhere between like, the least amount of kids you know, usually have is like four um four to like 12 kids and in, in those groups during the uh during school hours stuff it's still still a fair few, man, and I gather this is then keeping you going, you know, financially for for most of your um, you know, wage. I gather like the racing probably this is probably more than your racing, you know, that you get from from contingencies and whatnot. Yeah. I gather. Yeah, absolutely. Um, that's what helps me pay the bills. Really, I've, I've I had a a really cool thing going on in in Supercross this year where I was uh, um, I was doing like a different title sponsor at every round which is working out great like i already had all my rounds already committed to yeah and uh so basically in a lot of the companies that were being my title sponsor were parents of the kids i trained so oh really that's cool. it was yeah so it was it was 1500 bucks for the title spot on my shroud and um and then i was giving people a shout out on my um on my instagrams and youtube i had a, a youtube vlog i've been doing and uh trying to get back to the person that helped me get to the race and basically that 1500 was getting me to the race getting my mechanics to the race um hotel entry fee rental car all that stuff so it was it was helping me break even you know getting to the races yeah, yeah. and uh and then basically what i made from training kids during the week is kind of what i bring home to pay bills you know yeah of so yeah that is my, <laughs> my main source of income yeah it's it was actually training kids really yeah right so how did you get how did you get into that uh that ttmx side of things like obviously that's somebody else is running that like started that i gather and then you've just sort of managed to get in there involved with it like it's a pretty interesting facility for you yeah, yeah so um we've been going for a year and a half now. And, um, so basically a year and a half ago, I'd been seeing Colin Edwards, the Texas tornado. They call him. If, if people don't know him, he's a, uh, moto GP superstar. They call him the Texas tornado. He was really bad dude. Um, got podiums in moto GPs and was always known for his awesome personality that he has. But, um, I've been seeing him and his son around the track, the local tracks, and one day I just went up to talk to because my dad actually knew him because he raced him when he was younger. I said, hey, what's going on, dude? I'm Van. And we started talking. And then I started coaching his son, Hayes, a little bit. And uh, 
And then one day we went out to his place where TTMX is at now and they had a little corner track and I helped with the track work and got the track ready. And I brought a group of riders out there and, and we just got to talking and we were like, man, you can, we can clear a lot of trees out and have an actual like facility here. And he's like, let's, let's do it. Cause nice. <laughs> uh, yeah. And, and Hayes at that point, he really, Hayes is like super talented. Like this kid, you're going to hear about him in the next year. You could hear about him here at James Stewart at the, the spring national coming up. They didn't go to Daytona, but dude, this kid is freakishly fast. Colin Sun Hayes. Well, he's got and, good uh, uh, genes from, from, from uh, Colin. So yeah, he should be. So. Yeah, dude, <laughs> what I'm what bike you, size is he running speed? at the moment? He just got on a 250, but he raced super okay. many at Loretta's. Um, yeah, right. It's his first year trying to get to Loretta's um or trying ever to qualify for Loretta's he made it and he got 12th in both super many classes so that's that's no I mean that's no slouch right there already first year at Loretta's and almost yeah, got the top 10 yeah and yeah. uh but he just moved up to a 250 and man he's been working his butt off and the kid is just like super talented he's got some crazy corner speed I've never seen before but uh so basically we just we built this track from the ground up and um been going for a year and a half now the track is unbelievable we make sure it's rutted rough it's got some big jumps it's got a little bit of elevation it's got half of the track is clay so it gets these gnarly ruts that just like curl over and then half of the track is like sand and That's man sick. it's like something that the houston area has needed for a long time for there's a lot of kids in houston that try to race amateur nationals but we kind of just have flat tracks around here that don't really get rough so um it's something that this area's needed in a while and it's been doing really good. And, um, man, it's, I love it. It's every day is fun out there. And, yeah. It uh, sounds like it's, it's been good for you too. So not just for the area yeah. kids, but for yourself as well. And, and just, yeah, get, got work and, and just somewhere else to ride too. So that's awesome. So hopefully you get yeah. back out there and do, do your normal, normal gig out there shortly. You know, that'd be good too. So yeah, absolutely. Well, look, Van, I, I look, I really appreciate that you've given us some time. Obviously, things aren't you know fantastic for you right now, but I really appreciate you were able to give us some time and just let us in on on some of the stuff that's happened over the last few weeks. And hopefully, people can jump onto that you know road to recovery site and get some more support for you as we get through these next few weeks while things you know still a bit off the rails for you. Yeah, I appreciate it, dude. Yeah, that would that would help a ton. Every little bit helps right now. So. Um... Yeah, I really appreciate you having me on and um, let me spread my word a little bit. No, anytime, man. And look, what we we might um we might check in in a couple of weeks' time and see how things are working out for you. Yeah, that'd be awesome. No all right, problem man. at all. Appreciate your time, Van. Thanks for that, mate. All right, thank you. All right, guys, that was a great interview there with Van Martin. We appreciate his time and the ability for him to jump into this interview whilst he's still laying on the couch in a fair bit of pain. We really appreciate his time, and we hope we did him justice with that interview, and hopefully we can get you guys, like we said, over to that Road to Recovery site uh, and donate for to donate to Van and help him out in this tough time that he's going through. So that's it for this week's show uh, on the Always Moto podcast. It was episode 15. Uh, thanks for listening guys we've got a few things we want you to try and do for us during the week 
we need you to like and subscribe and follow the uh, follow our Instagram and like and subscribe to the podcast so that you can get those updates and you can get it in your feed each week when we put out these posts. If your favorite podcast app doesn't have us, please let us know. We want to be on all these platforms and at this stage, we're on the major ones. We're on Apple, we're on Google, we're on Stitcher, we're on Spotify. If it's not on the one that you want it on, let me know and I'll get it on there. Uh, But if your favorite podcast app has an ability to rate our show and leave some feedback, please do so. It helps us to get more uh, recognition from that site and feature on their podcast lists, which in turn gets us more listeners and helps me to make me feel like I'm actually getting somebody listening to the show and we actually then will keep putting out more content. So if you can do that, please, guys, much appreciated. Uh, And look, if you have any feedback, if you want to support the show, feel free to get in touch. My Instagram is at always.moto or you can email me at alwaysmoto2019 at gmail.com. But that's it for now, guys. Appreciate you listening. I'm David Hogan. Uh, We'll be back with you again next week, ready for round 11. Uh, But for now, remember to be smooth and fast because if you're not, I'll probably be seeing you here in the emergency department. See you guys.